For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac. Hey, everybody, this is Billy West from Futurama. Hi, how you doing? I hope you're doing lousy because I'm doing lousy, and I don't want anybody to be happy if I'm not happy. Now get me a sandwich with maggots on it. Hi, this is Zeb Brannigan. You're listening to The Geek Show on 104.5 CBFM. Drop the beat and don't do the Harlem Shake because we're kind of tired of it already. It is the Geek Show, Sunday evening, 5 till 7. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Hello. Hello. I'm, I'm not into the Harlem Shake meme. It's, it's see, too, you're too easy, I think. See, everyone's going on about this Harlem Shake, and when I first saw it, I thought it was all like... I thought, I thought they were, you know, someone had made a mistake and they were actually talking about the Harlem Shuffle, <laughs> you know. Brilliant. It shows, how, it shows how old... It, they even made a song about it. The most impressive hey, one. Hey, when was it hey, released, Rob? Do the Harlem Was it released shop? before when? I was released? It was Rob released. Before <laughs> 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 <Was> it re- <laughs> I wasn't kept captive in there, I want to point out. That's just bad wording on my part. <laughs> Let me out. <laughs> I want to be free. I don't want to no. do the shake. <laughs> Although my favourite Harlem Shake, the, the one that makes it okay to exist for me, has to be... Uh, a friend of mine who's Swedish linked her over their Tumblr. The Swedish TV program of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Oh, God. I, yeah, they asked her this lady a question, and then she was like, mm, okay, this one in, in Swedish. He was like, fine answer. She was like, yes. And then it zoomed out, and there was one guy doing the Harlem Shake, and then the beat dropped, and everyone in the audience, as well as the participant and the quiz master, did it. And then when it finished, everyone sat down and acted like nothing had happened. And it was, Google it, it was amazing and just so surprising. And that is the only instance of it I really am really fond of. Okay. Uh, But yes, what are we doing today? We are talking about Animax. Our favorite event of the year. 
We're yeah. talking about it over two episodes because of how epic it was this year. That's yeah, been so. Good. I, it it mm. was in in kind of the classical sense of the of the word as well. I don't like this modern version of oh, of epic where everybody says something was epic when it's not. You kind of look up epic in the dictionary and it talks about something t- completely different. Oh, you mean like awesome, where they use it to refer to like chips and hats, yeah, rather than. If these were epic and awesome chips, they would be chips that blew your mind, or you could use to pick locks. They and, would be and no, they would, they would, in them. They, would, they would be manly chips that that fought in like the uh, Trojan War or something like that. Oh, like historical epic, epic. <laughs> yes, yeah, that exactly. would work. Historical it's, chips. It's a chip. <laughs> it's a chip with biceps and no, blood no, of its enemies. Not historical. Not they would be mythological chips. <laughs> Oh, this chip is made from griffins. This chip was forged by Hephaestus. <laughs> <laughs> it would take forever to put a packet of fries together if you had the Greek god of the forge just hitting it on an anvil in order to make them the perfect cubular shapes and put them into a special satchel. <laughs> I he did that, didn't he, for, like, Perseus? <laughs> Oh, wait, no, this is just more like bows and quivers. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyone developing the new God of War game should take notes of this one. <laughs> to some awesome DLC yeah. they could really use. Hephaestus chips. Hephaestus Walk- chips. Walkers have nothing on us. Make, make him the sellout god. Make him the booster gold of Greek times. It'd be, it'd be hilarious if you looked like Gary Lineker, though. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but yes, Animex has been so full on this year Absolutely. that we've had to split it into two different shows. We decided to go for Animex Game and then Animex Everything Else. Partly because there's like new stuff, like Animex Comic was this year for the first time ever. The yeah, Wednesday was used to talk have it, people who've made comics in and talk about their work in the comic industry. And congratulations, happy birthday! It is the tenth anniversary of Animex Game. Woo! Yes, happy birthday, happy birthday, Animex Game, and congratulations, Gabby. Yeah, yes. Congratulations to Gabby. I mean, like the first year of actually doing comics at Animex, and the the uh, the guests that she had for that was like was massive. I mean, Marvel no, no. The, was it the stuff. first year that they've done Animex comic? Yeah, this is yeah, the first this time is the ever. First year. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. it is. Yes, it is. You're right. It's never happened before. DC Stanley. <laughs> yeah, Marv Wolfman, the Stanley of DC. Mm, he created the New Teen Titans back in 1980. He. Also created Blade. Yeah, yeah, he created the character of Blade. He was interesting. We actually got to finally talk to someone about what it's like to give your characters away and see someone else write them. And <clears throat> look forward to that next week uh, to see some interesting solutions and answers. Yeah. Oh, yes. Mm, and he's fantastic. a lovely fella. Yeah, he's a lovely fella. He's so humble as well, I mean. Yeah. Like, oh, definitely. Everything he's achieved. And... We did something new this year. In our way, we always try and innovate and try something new every single <laughs> yeah. series. And this year, we didn't do a live show. We did video interviews. We're joining the YouTube generation, folks. Woo. We oh, got two yeah. very nice video cameras in, one of them DSLR. Yep. We got and The other one got, HD. The other one HD. We got lighting rigs, and we got chairs, and it was so fancy and ridiculous, and I, I worried that we scared even Harry, Nicole. Uh, uh, during the Ubisoft Reflections interview, Harry was taking on the role, or taking on the role of Michael Parkinson. <laughs> I could just see you, you know, in like a suit with, you know, just like shoulder-length hair rather than the hair at the length it is. I thought just I... sitting there, just going, so... So, David Hasselhoff. <laughs> I thought I was taking the role of Super Nanny, to be honest, because Ubisoft Reflection sent four people. Yes. <laughs> they sent four bl- blimmin' developers. Who wouldn't talk to us about Watch Dogs? <laughs> 
because oh, oh obviously God. we interviewed them on the Monday, yes. right? Yeah. And asked about Watchdogs because one of them was wearing Watchdogs T-shirt, and it's the most upcoming Ubisoft title, and they couldn't tell us anything. And then on the Wednesday, we discovered that Watchdogs is actually going to be a PS4 release title. But more on that after the news. And so it was like, oh, of course you couldn't tell us anything. And then, then I went... saw one of them again on Thursday. And was like, hey, congratulations, keeping that secret. Could you tell us anything now? No, sorry, we really can't. We're, <laughs> yes. we're, we're scaling all the releases. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> we're yes. on good terms, though, that it's awesome. So yes. looking forward to that. Watch this space for those good terms as well. Mm-hmm. And, and use of the share button. Yes. Um, we, are gonna have, we do have some news, though, and some interesting news. Mm-hmm. Starting off with uh, Mr. Shatner is back. Uh, Vulcan be thy name. There was NASA have got a competition. Uh, was it NASA? No, it's the Pluto Rocks campaign. Yeah. Um, they want members of the public to vote to help decide the name uh, names of two moons orbiting the X planet. Taking uh, the idea of the Monopoly guys wanting the public to vote on whether you get cats in a game. You yeah. ask the internet. Of course, there's now cats in Monopoly. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Greek and Roman mythology is still the naming gold mine of choice. So Vulcan, the Roman god of fire, and the name of Spock's homeworld was a logical choice. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that suggestion came from Mr. William Shatner, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, yeah, why not? Hmm. Okay. Um, sorry, it was SETI's public ballot. Sorry, not NASA's. There we go. Oh, SETI! Yay! Yeah. Like those guys. Um, despite being a late addition to the ballot, Shatner's suggestion has gone on to take the lead with more than 120,000 votes. Um, <laughs> Which means good one, Shatner. Now it's not going to be named after rude words. Thing or... is, he's actually pushing it on Twitter, which is why it's getting so many votes. It, partly, partly it's William Shatner mm-hmm. who wants to call a planet Vulcan, right? Now, who is going to say no to that? Captain Kirk wants to call some some rock in space Vulcan. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Go for it. He's got my vote. If you want to be <laughs> yeah. part of William Shatner's revolution, join him on Twitter and join him with the campaign to get one of Pluto's moons named Vulcan. Yes, he's got my vote. Mm-hmm. Um, Vulcan is the Roman god of lava and smoke and the nephew of Pluto, says Mark Showalter of the SETI Institute when the edition was approved. Any connection to the Star Trek TV series is purely coincidental, <laughs> although we can be sure that Gene Roddenberry read the classics thanks to William Shatner for this suggestion. Purely coincidental to the Star Trek series. <laughs> to be fair... Just Captain Kirk suggesting it. Yeah, to be fair, what exactly are you going to do with copy- copyright? No, you're not allowed to use our idea to actually bring it into being. Best line, the though. Greeks. Lennon Nimoy... Uh, Leonard Nimoy also tweeted his support for the project. Vulcan is the logical choice. Uh, LLAP. <laughs> uh, nice, nice. Yes. Uh, the vault closes. Uh, what's the date today? 24th, isn't it? The vault closes tomorrow, and the top results will be submitted to the International Astronomical Union for consideration. Just to note that there is an International Astronomical Union. Yes. Which sounds like the most people gathered for a single union ever. No, it just sounds... Astronomically international! No, no, it just sounds like a galactic trade union with uh, with everything that entails. It does uh, set trade routes for rocks between Pluto and Mars. That's kind of disappointing. Space miners are going on strike. (laughs) We're whalers on the moon. No, 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 no. If you want to get in on the Planet Enemy action, check out SETI's website for it. Have a Google and we'll see you there. Yes, uh, moving on. We carry uh, our harpoons. Number two. <laughs> yes, hybrid supercars. Um, McLaren, right, we mentioned this before. McLaren are making a hybrid supercar called the P1. 
But they've started releasing more specifications for it. Aside from... Now, we'll get to the look of it in a second, because... I was going to say my face was contorting with, Oh, Gordy! No! No, We'll get to the look of it in a second, because I had a theory about this, Mm -hmm. and it has to do with the Bugatti Veyron Supersport. Um, Oh, which everyone who's seen Top Gear knows is, like, the bestest car in all the world's, like... Actually, it's not about that. It's about... It's about what it looks like, and it's about the colour scheme. Oh. Right. Uh, McLaren P1 is going to produce 903 brake horsepower with a hybrid engine, which is... Uh, it's basically putting Formula 1 technology into a road car now. Um, because F1 is going electric. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, which is going to... It's going to be weird. It'll be like, you know, it'll be like watching supercharged milk, clo- milk floats going around the track. I think of it as getting one step close to Skelectrix. See, I reckon if they're going to do that, they should change the uniform so everybody looks like a milkman. Why not just make them dress like Tron? <laughs> That'll be a way to market it. Yes. Um, Have a cross-marketing promotion for Tron 2-2, which we yeah. all assume is going to happen at this point. You know. Yeah, true. Um, anyway, rather than waiting for the technology to drip down from the latest models of F1 car, um, preparing for the 2013-2014 season... McLaren has outlined how its P1 will borrow directly from technology that will be serving Jensen Button in his bid for the Drivers' Championship. Uh, it's got a 3.8-litre twin-turbo V8 petrol engine, which is a refined model of the engine that already appears in the 12C, and it has an additional electric motor direct- mounted directly on the underside of the V8. Um, we're not going to go into any more specifications. We are going to talk about the look, though. Okay, finally. It is <laughs> right. gaudy and dull. Yes, it's also black and white and stripy, right? Now, here's the thing. The Bugatti Supersport, Vero, uh, uh, Bugatti Veyron Supersport is black and orange, mm-hmm. right? What creature is black and orange? A tiger. This mm. reminded me of a zebra the first time I saw it. Thing is, it doesn't look like a zebra. It looks like Tim Burton did some graffiti out of Escher. Yeah. Because it's like loads of spirals and little lines and See, stairs. I and just, it's, it's just uh, yeah. weird and dumb and it's too much going on. It's too much going on. It'll look like it's just white when it goes past people. Or grey. Grey, yeah. It'll look like a white grey, which is boring. Yes. Sorry, we're into the Harry fashion section now. Cars this year should not be wearing white and grey if they go very, very fast. It is dull, people. Fast cars should be red. <laughs> Or at least have, you know, like, the reason the stripes go down... Not is yellow. Not yellow. Never. Fast cars should never be yellow, Lamborghini, looking at you. <laughs> oh, no, it's a speeding banana bomb. Someone appears to have upset Bowser. <laughs> oh, banana man. <laughs> God, no, but not banana man. <laughs> oh, uh, All right, moving on. Anyway, um, we'll leave that to one side. Feeling bionic is our next story. Bionic hand. Uh, the... A team at uh, Ecole Polytechnique Federale de Lausanne uh, is set to trial a prosthetic hand transplant that connects directly to the nervous system and allows the wearer to feel again. They're also set to try Monty Python accents, apparently. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they're set to try this thing. What does it, what does it entail? What was it? Your mother was smelt of elderberries and your father was an hamster. <laughs> so what are they beyond? I wave my... Various things in your general direction. <laughs> okay, so what does this tech entail? <laughs> right. Um, basically, what they're going to do... Uh, where are we? Oh, you made me lose my place now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it's going to be a four-week test period during which electrodes are going to be implanted, implanted into the median and ulnar nerves, the two nerves that are responsible for transmitting information to the hand um, of an amputee, and they're going to be connected by wires to a prosthetic hand on a nearby table. Now... 
What they're trying to do, the test subject is uh, Pierpaolo Petruziello. I think you mean Pierpaolo Pezzarillo. Uh, no. <laughs> if you're going with the accents, come on. Petruziello uh, was also able to feel needles prick, uh, needle pricks when the hand's skin sensors were jabbed. So this oh. is the robotic hand, and he's able to actually feel the pinpricks on the hand even though he doesn't actually have a hand. That's just what amputees really miss about having hands. Yeah. Pain! Yeah. My uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we have a... Uh, Rob 2's just arrived. And hello, hello. Just gonna go very I was just going to say, good. isn't that basically when Hans... No, hang on, Han Solo. Anakin. Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker Luke. gets his hand cut off. I was about to that scene. Yeah, it is. It, it is that scene. Yeah, it, I Everybody so. can be Luke Skywalker now. Yeah. Oh, God, No, no. Because you, you just know there's going to be some drunk idiot who tries that, who goes, <laughs> I can be Star Wars. Usually they do that with a, a traffic cone in a head with some stick of some sort on top of a bus stop. Oh, God, uh, no. Some people, <laughs> have, you, have, you seen, have you read some of the stories on the Darwin Awards? Oh no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't go there. <laughs> uh, moving on, uh, things we want to try. The three doodler. Now, I love this thing. I want one. It's basically a 3D pen oh, cool. that lets you draw uh, that lets you draw structures and objects in. Uh, you know, it's the ink just solidifies. Huh. Um, it costs thirty-two pounds. It's uh, obviously it's called Three Doodler. Oh, sorry, lets you sorry. draw three-dimensional shapes using a special plastic ink that hardens almost as soon as it's released I, from the nib. I've got to say this: isn't a normal pen got ink that it dries pretty quickly? Yes, yeah, but this, but this is, dries in three, three dimensions. You don't this need doesn't just dry on paper. This dries in the air, so you can actually make structures <sighs> out of it. Evolution's, it's looking at us, and it's disappointed. Cause, yeah. I think this would be oh. pretty interesting for like architects' board meetings and things. Oh, yeah. Or, and game modelling as well. I'll tell you, you what. Do if it you, by hand very quickly. It'd make lectures much more interesting as well, because you know the boring lectures where you just sit there and doodle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't <laughs> do it in secret anymore, though. You'd have to like, have a book fort. Keeping it as uh, drunk-themed. It'd be the worst time in the world to fall asleep drunk. With that pen. (laughs) 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 Gary, you've got a beard. What the? Oh my God, I do. And it's coming out of my face. And a uni, bro. (laughs) Gary, why is the Eiffel Tower (laughs) down there? Give him massive devil horn. Like massive curly goat devil horn. Oh God, no, they'd give him a Leosaya perm. (laughs) Or Princess Leia. Uh, No, a Leosaya perm would be worse. I'd give my dad hair. He's fighting a losing battle, bless him. Uh, but yes, uh, I don't know. That's very Blue, cool. And at £32, it's very affordable. It's very affordable. Um, I want one. Uh, the device, it's been created by a company called Wobbleworks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'd say anyone who's working in modelling or animation should probably might be tempted to give this kind of thing a try, see what kind of results they can get working yeah. in the 3D space. It might be really good for just brainstorming on a 3D plane. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I'll tell you what, as long as they don't start putting it in a can, like spray paint. Cause no, no, let's not have 3D take, graffiti. Yeah, because uh, I was going to say graffiti would <laughs> would go nuts. That would just become like a bad drug trip. If you can yeah. see, like, it's not just there's demons on the walls, there's demons coming out of the walls. <laughs> well, on the plus side, it'd be a lot easier to steal Banksy's art now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the museums just lift it and take it in. Yeah. <laughs> You don't have to chisel it out of a wall, you just, you know, it's there. Why not? Yes. You can't steal my artwork. Well, it was illegal to put it here, so we're illegally going to take it somewhere else. Yes. See you. Haven't you watched <laughs> Me Vendetta? <laughs> Brilliant. 
there's a video of this uh, work in progress. So uh, yeah. do look forward to us putting it up on the website later on. We will do. Um, moving on, WTF Award. Uh, re- reading Mice Minds. Now, I, I'm starting to feel sorry for rodents that are, uh, you know... Hang on, sorry, what? I'm starting to feel sorry for no, rodents. No, what's the story? Reading Mice Minds. Hmm. Yeah. Isn't this basically cloudy with a chance of meatballs where you give the function of talk to a... A monkey and all it says is food. No. And its name. It's not quite that. <laughs> I didn't see Clary with a chance of beast balls. Right. It looks very cute. Uh, reading my smile. Uh, you remember last week we were talking about the, the Japanese have built a robot that purposely bullies rats to make them depressed oh, so they gosh, can test yeah. antidepressants on them. My torture <laughs> rather than bullies. Yes. yes. Right. This is why I'm starting to feel sorry for all these rodents that are involved in scientific research. Uh, Stanford biologists have used the fluorescent proteins and a tiny microscope implanted in a mouse's head to monitor neurons firing in the live creature's brain. Okay. It just sounds kind of grotesque. You know. Notice how the image used for this article isn't actually a rat with any device on its head. It's just a rat. Yeah, it's just, just no, mouse. it's just a mouse. It's a very innocent-looking mouse as well. Exactly. Um, Bad choice. <laughs> I mean, uh, of all, uh, we get CAT scans. Nobody sticks a microscope in our brains. Or in the cats, for that matter. Yeah, or in the cats, <laughs> for that matter. Um, it is a bit of an odd one. I think it goes back to... Does anyone else here read SNBC, Saturday Morning Breakfast Serial? Nope. It's a very good webcomic. They did a, a brilliant one about this uh, a few days ago, actually, uh, where they were saying, it's quite worrisome that because all these experiments are happening on mice, experiments later for, like test stuff for like drug enhancements and like brain enhancements yeah. probably going to happen on mice too and just eventually the reversal just flipped completely where everything's been tested on a mouse first and then they gain the superpowers and supremacy and start testing things on humans instead yes and thus this is the balance the cycle will be that mice and humans will fluctuate between deep being the dominant species of the planet which is worrying possible sound, uh, and considering starting, things like this it's starting to sound a bit hitchhikers now uh, are you saying but, Pinky and the brain are going to be real in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not yes. saying the they won't. The same thing we do every night. Pinky, <laughs> try to see if these humans can contract cancer so that we can cure cancer. No, test this, sh- test this shade of lipstick. <laughs> it always starts off with cosmetics and then you have to try and rule the world. Yes. Don't think that I do. I've seen Zoolander. I know the truth. <laughs> He's got that London look. We know what you're doing no, right no, now. No, no, no. It's not the London look. It's Magnum. <laughs> <laughs> Doing a magnum impression is not good for radio. No. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, in memoriam, uh, bit of a sad, bit of sad news. Yeah. This guy was one of gaming's true maverick creators. Uh, Kenji Ino died uh, on the twentieth of February at the age of forty-two. Uh, cause of death was heart failure. Now, this guy was brilliant, in my opinion. He made one of the best horror games of all time, D and Enemy Zero. Um, released them on the three D or PlayStation and Sega Saturn. Um, but he, in order to get D published, he did some little bit of trickery. He created a fake, clean version of the game, which he submitted to uh, the distributors, knowing that it may, knowing that would mean he had to personally fly the gold disc, uh, the gold master disc, to the US for manufacturing. And while he was on board the flight, he swapped the discs over, so he got his, his version of the game published, and they thought they were publishing a clean version of the game. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't the only trick he pulled. He was got angry at Sony for cutting the print run of the Sony PlayStation version of D, and he switched allegiances to Se- uh, Sega during a live press conference. Uh, he was showing a trailer. 
for the for his next game, Enemy Zero, and it was shown with the PlayStation logo, and during the trailer, that logo morphed into a Sega Saturn logo in front of the crowd. This was at a Sony event. He was quite the Loki. Yeah. Um, he's, he's had all sorts of tributes paid to him as one. But I think this one is the best one. Andrew Vestal, who's uh, one of the senior producers at Blizzard, has said Kenji Ino was indie back when nobody even knew indie was a thing you could do. Hmm. Uh, he did it anyway. What's more indie than that? He seems like a fantastic creator, and bef- yeah. despite being before my time, I and other people I would recommend also check him out. I'll, that- I'll tell you if you well, <laughs> apparently you can pick up copies of D for fifty yen, about thirty five pence, over in Japan, which uh, didn't please Kenji when he spoke to the guy who uh, who wanted uh, him to sign. Yeah, a copy who wanted of him it. to sign it. It says fifty yen, F X X K on it. <laughs> that was his uh, him signing it. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, moving on, uh, we, you know, uh, sympathies do go out to, our, to his family and yeah. to his friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will be missed, one of gaming's uh, true independent mm-hmm. minds. But to stay positive and venerate him, go check out his games, yes. D and... Enemy Zero, Enemy he's made Zero. a few others. But uh, the, studio he, uh, the studio he formed, uh, Warp Studio, I think it is, the guy who created Icon Shadow, Shadow of the Colossus, Fumito Ueda, that's where he got his start. Mm. Yeah. So um, definitely worth checking out. Yep. Kenji Ino. Yeah, Ino. Ino. Um, Kenji Ino. Hi, I'm Ken Wong from Spicy Horse Studios, and I listen to Geek Show on 104.5 CVFM. Segwaying successfully Persona 4 to PS4. That totally works, so deal with it. We are now talking about That was about slightly robotic there. <laughs> it was me mangling the words in my own mind. So, as everyone was aware, Sony... Faith prophesized a mythic announcement on the 20th. Yes, it uh, was mythic. And as everyone on the internet had guessed, it was indeed the announcement for the PlayStation 4 becoming official. There yes. was no images of the console itself, but we did get to learn a lot about it, the games that are coming up, and what it should be doing. So, oh, yes. So I figured it was good to take a little moment to talk about it here. Yeah. Uh, number one, there are two major modifications happening to the controller. Uh, the start and select buttons that have been there ever since the first one are now gone. They're gone. Yes. They're no longer a thing. In, in their place instead uh, is an options button, which works because it kind of can be both of them, uh, and a sharing button. And the sharing button is a very new thing. Hmm. Um, oh. Well, it's not the Facebook thing that many people feared, is it? It's not... Here's an achievement I got, share share it with the world, because there's many games on the past generation PlayStation 3 where I just posted it there anyway. Yeah. Instead what it is, is you press share and it can record, and it's about uh, actual play, I'm not sure the specifics that detailed yet, but it'll record 50, up to 15 minutes of gameplay footage, yeah. Oh, yeah. which is perfect for people who, you know, competitive gaming on YouTube and yeah, the watch. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think this is Sony being quite clever. It seems like they've been observing uh, Google's latest measures into change, like <laughs> Google's uh, Hangout systems, in yeah. that this will actually be a major step forward for, yeah, people like Total Biscuit, people like Gamer Connect doing their walkthroughs and playthroughs, anyone yeah. doing commentaries. I think this would definitely be a great thing for them. And a genius idea for Sony, not only now is there no like, in-between programs, they can put it straight onto the internet from the PS4, but now Sony will have some ability to control the advertising. Yes. Which I think is very clever on their part. Absolutely. And a perfectly good trade-off if they make the system a system a lot simpler. 
So that's his very clever idea. Yes. Also, there is now a touchscreen. Yes, there is. Which well, screen is generous? Sorry, a touchpad. A touch finger bit. It's not, it's not got a lot of room to wiggle That there. just sounds wrong. A touchy fingery bit with not much room to wiggle it. This, <laughs> yes. You need to be careful, Rob. It, ne- it needs a better <laughs> trademark. It's not very good at the moment. But. That's not what the name is. It's not Sony's touchy wiggly finger thing. Registered trademark. That's not how they've done this. It, it, Sony's touchy finger thing with not much, room, uh, not much wiggle room in it. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it's a bad translation. So Available just above the wiggly sticks and between the buttons. No. Actually, it's probably called just like one word in, Jap- in Japanese. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Kaisho. Something. <laughs> well, no, not of flowers since everything else is. Sorry, what did you say? Kaisho or Taisho? Kaisho. I don't even know what that is. I hope I haven't sworn to all our Japanese <laughs> listeners, of whom there are probably none. I don't know. You never know with this. It's very really confusing. A, is that no, was no. the first? No, no. There's, oh, there's that one bloke in Japan who works for Tenga who's listening out for Harry's suggestions. <laughs> 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 yes, do get into contact with us for an That's how Tenga get all their ideas. Harry. <laughs> Quite worryingly possible. Uh, so yes, those things are moving forward. Another thing moving forward, which I think Dark Souls players will be very fond of, yes. is player help. You, there will be certain games. Uh, currently there is... Oh, which is the one that said that you could do it? Deep Down is one of the games that they've released which will be able to do this. If you find a level too difficult or too impossible to do... You can ask players online for help. I don't mm. like that. And then you, they will be able to take over your game in exchange for something you agree beforehand, like the spoils of I, the game. I've not got to say I prefer Ninja Gaiden's method, where if you can't do it, it calls you a coward, lowers the difficulty measure, and puts you in a pink outfit. So, there you go. <laughs> you can't do it. You're an idiot. That's the first <laughs> thing about Ninja Gaiden I've actually liked hearing about. <laughs> Considering Ninja Gaiden normally I find is... The enemy is so fast, they're nearly invisible. You failed to kill them, you died. Would you like to do it on lower difficulty? Or you're already on the lowest difficulty. Too bad, sucks to be you. I found it really easy, actually. I found it really easy. You you haven't got reactions, Harry, that's the thing. It's Ninja Gaiden 2. I played them them all. Anyway, back on topic. I quite like Ninja Gaiden. (laughs) I've never really been fond of it. Uh, Another thing is that it will have proper integration with the Vita. And by proper, I mean they have actually just outrightly one-upped the Wii U. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Do we know that, though? Is the Vita still relevant, though? That's the thing. The Vita basically launched itself off of Persona 4 The Colton pretty much exclusively. Well, it wasn't wasn't just that. They had Uncharted Uncharted and stuff like that as well. Wipeout. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and they had the um, Assassin's Creed yeah, Assa- 1. Assassin's Creed. The only Assassin's Creed title to boast a female character. Yeah. I've not really heard a lot about the Vita, though, since it's been released. It's been a bit quiet. I don't know why all the new handheld consoles are a bit quiet. Well, like, the 3DS had it as well, although the 3DS had the worst problem, and they yeah. called it the 3DS, which sounds like a gimmick rather than a whole new console. Yeah. Which um, it was, as opposed um, to the DSi, or the DSL, or the DSXL. Make up a new name if it's a new console. Oh, Otherwise, God. people no, get no, confused. No, 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 because now you have the 3DS XL. Which Ugh. <laughs> it's... Nintendo, stop it. You're bad at marketing. Stop it. Bad Nintendo. You don't get to do nice things. It's confusing. So, yeah, PlayStation 4. Yes. Sorry, yes, PlayStation 4. <laughs> the Vita will be able to synchronize with the PlayStation 4 itself. And what they have said is you will be able to move games to and from the PS Vita to the screen itself. So basically it's the Wii U. The Wii U, but with an existing console you've already purchased. Yeah, whereas the handheld that you get with the Wii U is part of the Wii U. And, and probably significantly cheaper. And, you know, people will buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody's bought the Wii U, so... 
Yeah, the Wii U is a bit of a dud at the moment because it just doesn't have the software support. No. Didn't, didn't PlayStation do a similar thing to this before when they brought the PSP out? Uh, they I think did, so, yeah. They did something where you Certain could games. actually yeah. use that as a controller, um, and not only that, you got extra you got extra um, achievements or unlock, special unlockable items. I'm not yeah. sure the specifics of that, but regard, going back to the move, the game they used, the demo, well, it was not really a game, it's more of a tech demo. They used their media molecule, who are the, what you call the, the developers of Little Big Planet. And the video they released online is their, what was it? It was their sort of sculpture model, oh. wasn't it? Where they said you can do all these things, you can sculpt in real time, you can save in real time. And the demo also went on to show the potential to sort of use the move as a implement a puppeteer. It was really a little cute sequence. I don't know if you oh, yeah, that, it was Harry. quite adorable. You had like these two puppets dancing against each other and then they started playing guitar. <laughs> now, if PlayStation 4 is capable of that, that's kind of bizarrely miraculous. Well, it's incredible. Mm. But that's... It's a tech demo, isn't it? It's not always going to be there in yeah. full form in a video game in the future. What we can see from the PS4 mainly isn't that it's a massive graphical step up or anything, but it seems like the PS3 version 2. Well, 3.5. Yeah, yeah, 3.5, I suppose. Like, the next evolution of it. It's already got the graphics. Don't want any more graphics, which is good. I'm glad someone's done well, this. It's yeah, not just absolutely. graphics, is it? It's capabilities. Like, uh, I was a bit yeah, disappointed. Yeah, focusing on capabilities uh, a lot more. What was it? Uh, what's the name of the game? Watch Dogs. Watch Dogs looked like it was going to be a PS3 game, but considering the technological hike, mm-hmm. games like that may not be much prettier, but what they can do with the open world mechanics is mm. it's what they're looking at. They can do more yeah. with... But to be fair... Yeah, and I'm looking forward to Watch Dogs for yeah, that. Yeah, PlayStation already have really pretty graphics anyway, so yeah, really I'm, just focus on the... like the. Yeah, I'm glad they're not bothering to go a step further with that one, instead focusing on the mechanics. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Games that we know yeah. now that will be released on it will be Watch Dogs, the new Ubisoft title, Infamous Second Son, which doesn't look to be the same character. It looks like it isn't Cole we're playing as, unless it's a villain. It looks like prototype. It looks yeah. like a weird prototype baby with devil may cry dmc which is odd because he's like brimstone and teleporting and evil looking but it looks to be interesting killzone shadowfall for those who are killzone <laughs> players i don't think any of us are i uh, played killzone number two and number one I, yeah i played one and two and i tried three and hated it drive club for those who like driving deep down looks <laughs> like it could be the new monster hunter is that people, the, is that the capcom saying. one yes yeah the capcom one with the dragons yeah. and the knights fighting it looks like a combination of monster hunter and dark souls to be honest yeah it does oh, right. it's interesting uh knack knack is adorable What's, there's like which a, one's knack it's the cel-shaded one there's like an army of goblins fighting humanity and they make a tiny little robot and the robot can oh, break things yes, and yes, merge yes. with it to become bigger and it looks really cool. Very good. And finally, The Witness, which is a puzzle game, which looks like it may use that touchpad, yes. which is written by the writer of Braid. Jonathan Blow, yeah. If that's the basic sort of launch platform of the games that are coming out when it's released, apparently in 2013, but that's, that's the Japan release, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The yeah, November Western, Western North America, it probably be, I know, September 2014 in the run-up to Christmas. Yeah. yeah, but if that's the case of those games being launch titles, that's that's a good little yeah, it's, style it's setting it's a good out. Yeah, variety definitely. And they're getting the stuff out early, so we got them one over on Xbox this year. Yeah, oh, this time even. Well, it looks to be really good. We could debate that maybe this is too early for the PS4 to come out, considering people are still in the PS3. But yeah. hey, it looks to be really interesting. They've won up to the 720, which is now going to have to do damage control, and we we'll look forward to seeing what comes out of it. Hi, I'm Stuart Samita. I'm here at Animex, all the way from California, and you are listening to The Geek Show. This is The Geek Show interview with legendary composer and uh, musician himself. Hi, 
I think legendary. Uh, Austin Wintry, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? You just had your talk earlier today. I've heard from people it was incredibly inspiring. You helped a lot of people in the, in the musical fields. Uh, well, that would be, if that is in fact the case, that would be very meaningful to me. I mean, I, I don't really think there's anything that I'm doing that other people can't also be doing. I don't have some secret or some uh, leg up in any way that I think has given me an unfair advantage or anything like that. And so for me, I really like going and just trying to convince people um, that, that, you know, there's nothing holding them back. There's no reason why they shouldn't be doing what they want to be doing. It doesn't matter if you're talking about music. It could be anything. It, it does, in fact, apply to everything. So um, that's the, that's the uh, song I like to sing, and whether or not people believe it or not is up to them. So hopefully people today did. Yeah, fingers crossed. And you've gotten incredibly far in the field of music. You've worked for a lot of films, and most notably people will know you as the composer of the soundtrack to Journey. How did it feel seeing that nominated alongside amazing films for a Grammy Award? Because nothing else, as far as the video game soundtracks have gone, has ever done that before. Uh, it was a surreal moment. I mean, it, it's hard to say it felt good or I felt proud or anything like that. It was mainly just uh, shocking and, and hard to believe, even, even after... Yeah, the Grammys were just a week ago, and um, and um, so sitting there for that, it was uh, kind of wild and impossible to believe, even though I'd already been living with this notion of being a nominee for two months now. Uh, it still hasn't become real. It probably will never become real. Uh, you know, I mean, John Williams in particular is a composer that's been a, an icon and an idol for me my entire life. So to be listed side by side with him... Uh, was um, something that I really just don't have words for. Fantastic. Must have been a great moment for you. Uh, given that video games are getting larger, more expensive, and more glamorous a lot now, do you feel that everything should deserve or should try and aim for, like a massive orchestra, like uh, a lot of video games are going these days? Or if there's still room for like smaller, chip tunier synth soundtracks? Uh, yeah, I think, I, think uh, I mean, you know, what won at the Grammys was The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which is in no way an orchestral oh, yeah, score. Yeah, exactly, and uh, and Atticus Ross, and and so, um, yeah, I think generalizations of that sort are very unartistic, actually. You know, because Journey Journey's not a big orchestral score; it, it's a an orchestral score of a sort, but it's almost like an intimate orchestral score. And that was that was the idea. You know, it's like it always makes me laugh actually when people call me and, and they say, "I I love Journey; it's so epic," and I'm like, "Really?" In my mind, it, it was the exact opposite of that. It was quite personal and private and, and intimate. And, um, but epic has become a very broad term these days. Uh, and and I, I always know that they are saying something nice, and so I mostly just say thank you. But, um, but um, in any case, yeah, no, I, I think that chiptunes through gargantuan orchestra are uh, all right. I mean, my, you know, my... Uh, my probably most well-known game before Journey came out was that game company's first game, Flow, and uh, that's 100% non-orchestral music. It's totally electronic, so it's like a gentler version of Girl the Dragon Tattoo in a way, in a very weird way, but in a way it's kind of like that. So, yeah, I don't believe in aesthetic generalities at all. So pretty much everything deserves a chance out there in the musical world. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't even say it's so much about a chance as the idea that uh, everything is right in some situation or another. 
but not but not one thing will be right in every situation. Orchestral music works very well in World of Warcraft. Dubstep probably doesn't, but they are both valid. So, yeah, it, it, you know that's one of the main jobs as a composer is to use your taste as a musician and music lover to say I think these two things should go together that game or this film with this aesthetic of music and of course you really start to have fun when multiple aesthetics start to really come together and you blend into something new and unique you know and you're creating kind of a, a hybrid of multiple aesthetics you know and so uh, what differences do you find um, composing and recording for film compared to composing and recording for video games I mean, in many ways, they're very similar because the whole goal is to just write meaningful music. But um, they obviously have a massive difference in the form of interactive music. Films are not interactive. They are set linear timelines. Games are interactive, even very linear games. I mean, Journey is actually a very linear game. It's not an open-world game or a sandbox game or anything like that. I mean, it really is quite a linear game. But yet the music is extremely interactive. Films don't have that. Uh, so to me, if I have to pick one fundamental difference between the two, it's instantly, of course, going to be that. Actually, thinking about it, did you play Portal 2? Because there was a lot of crossfading going on with the player's own actions. That was amazing. Probably very difficult to accomplish. I just wanted to check if you played it before. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I know the guy that did all that music, and I played both games. And... Um, and um, it's a very different approach to interactive music because the music is actually part of the puzzles in Portal. And it unlocks the music in phases as you assemble the portals and you kind of get the various, you know, like in Portal 2 when you have to paint a wall to be able to, to, be able to hit Portal. Like after you've successfully painted that wall, the music will modify. To, it'll, it'll kind of unlock like another layer of itself. And so you're kind of building up the music as you're building up the parts needed in order to go through and complete the portal puzzle. Journey is not done that way at all. Uh, so, you know, Journey is not an additive experience musically. It's not, it's not a byproduct of solving a puzzle. It's a byproduct of the emotional trajectory the player goes on. So very, very different, though they're both coming from a place of how do we make this interactive. So sure, but yeah, yeah, very different. But that's what's cool about games is... You can have such different ways of handling the same idea, interactive music. Fantastic. Uh, did you have a favorite album or soundtrack of last year? Uh, actually, uh, I think for me the answer was Jess Curry's score to Dear Esther. Uh, I, I, love, uh, I loved her, her score to that game. I think the game is fantastic, but I, I, I felt like she really made something that was poetic and different and, and elegant, and, and I just... But it had a wonderful dark and creepy quality, and I, I just to me it was my favorite. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, finally, then, what kind of advice would you give to anyone wanting to work in music and compositions? Someone who's just getting started. Uh, well, I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is to just always be doing what you enjoy. I think a lot of composers make a mistake when they try to make themselves marketable and try to make themselves hireable, and they don't just focus on musical creations that make them happy because what they don't realize is that the more they listen to their inner self and they make music that actually means something to them 
the better that music will probably turn out, which means it has a higher probability of someone else hearing it and saying, this seems really great. You know, no one fell in love with the Beatles because the Beatles were trying to guess what people wanted to hear. They were writing what they wanted to write, what was inside of them. And then people responded to that because of its honesty. That's, of course, also a very basic concept. If they want to get into games, they really should be gamers, I think. I, you'd say that. You'd think, you'd think it's obvious. But I get composers every day that say, I'm not really into games, but it seems like a really cool new industry. And I'm like, look, you might get lucky and find a, film, uh, a game designer that really connects with you and really want, and like loves your approach to music and your thinking. But think of it from their perspective. If I'm hiring you and you tell me, I don't really play games, yeah. I'm a game designer. Be, be yourself, be creative, and aim to do the things that you actually enjoy being a part of. Obviously. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. It's been fantastic talking to you. Have a lovely Animex, definitely. Thank you. Cool. My pleasure. Thanks. He was so cool. Yes, Every, he was. Everyone who went loved his lecture. It was, he, he is quite an inspiring guy. He makes some really good points about just doing what you love. Oh, yeah. He, Absolutely. I had to say afterwards, I think I said this to Rob, uh, it was like interviewing Ratatouille. If it was a person rather than a film, because he was like, anyone can make games, anyone can make music. Hang on, if it was a person rather rather than a film, and you forgot the third option, or food. (laughs) Hi, anyone can make food. Maybe the PS4 can make food. Think about it. (laughs) Well, certain prototypes have looked like toasters, so who knows? (laughs) Absolutely. Did anyone else realize that really all these prototypes and things, it's just PS4 fan art. It's weird having fan art for an inanimate object. Tumblr would still ship it, but it's weird (laughs) seeing people draw it. See, this is the thing... yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, yeah. No, don't, don't go there. Don't. I just figured out which. longer than thou. I know how it works. No, no. I just, I just, I've just figured out what you meant when you said ship it. <laughs> yes. Uh, getting back on topic, though. Yes. Regarding PlayStation Four, one of the big titles that is coming out is uh, Watch Dogs, Watchdogs, which people who were sort of representing that company, Ubisoft, yes, did turn up at. Animex and did give an interview with Harry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, they, they were did. only able to say that we should look forward to Watch Dogs. But there is information here about what it's like working at Reflections, which is an Ubisoft studio. Yeah. Yes. And because it's only in Newcastle and it's a short distance, we did get four people with different job roles. So you should. Oh God, yes. So you should see that <laughs> a. There's loads of different roles that you could fulfil within a gaming place, and it's interesting to see what they are. B. People who work in the gaming industry can be good mates because they were all just having a laugh. Uh, which makes this interview slightly unprofessional. Is but that, hey, they were lovely blokes. Is that the studio that did the Driver game, the most recent Driver yes, game? Yes, they did. Yes. And it's something that they bossed about. They are essentially okay. experts at cars, which is why they collaborated when making Far Cry 3. They did the driving elements. Yes. Oh, very good. Uh, they know their cars. Yes, we do We do have an interview with uh, a few of the members. Uh, Harry was taking this interview. This was the interview where he was Parkinson. Um, you know, that <laughs> You were Michael Parkinson. <laughs> All you need was like the suit. Who's his Billy Connolly then? Um, it'll be this guy, Andrew Willens. <laughs> Andrew Willens was your Billy Connolly. He even looks a bit like a young Billy. Connolly. <laughs> yeah, with Connolly. He, has, <laughs> he has such a chiselled beard. It is in, amazing. It was so impressive looking at it. The weird thing is, right when I first when I first met him, he was standing talking to a fellow who was about his height had a similar beard, had a similar haircut, and was also wearing a red jacket, a red leather jacket. Hmm. 
Yeah. A red leather biker's jacket, I might add. So it was weird because I got told, oh, yeah, it's the guy in the red jacket with yeah. the beard over there. <laughs> so I went and I'm, I'm like, okay, this guy looks a little bit older. This guy looks like a student. But this is the gaming industry. This guy might actually be the guy from <laughs> Ubisoft Reflections. If anyone at home is trying to think of what this guy looks like, A, you can check out the NMX website, and B, kind of think like James Portnow from Extra Credits, but if he was modelled for a Squeenix game, <laughs> and he's got this chiselled jaw and this pixel-perfect yeah. beard, and yeah, moving on. Yeah. It is time for the interview with Ubisoft Reflections. After we After play a bit, we of, play music a bit of music to get you psyched for it. Yes. And I thought, Ubisoft... I know exactly what excuse I have to play Gavin Dunn this week. We're playing his father's son, which is Miracle of Sound Song for uh, Assassin's Creed 3. But we do have to specify, it's uh, in the interview, there's Matthew Oakley, Rob, Dress- uh, Rob Dressel, Andrew Willens, and their producer, Sean Crooks, who's a lovely fellow, and nobody asked him about being a producer. That's such a shame. I, I did. I asked, what would you say if someone trying to no, get no, into no, that No, no, no. I mean, I just, mean... Uh, just during the event. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the students... Everybody wanted to know all about being, like, a games designer. That must have been so sad, considering that Udon brought one of their marketers along. And people asked, including me, as the marketing person, about what it's like to work in marketing. Yes. <laughs> Hi, my name's Alex Trowers. I'm a game designer at BlackRock Studios, and I listen to Community Voice 104.5 FM, The Geek Show. Segwaying on to new things and mechanics and stuff. So Ubisoft Reflections had a collaborative thing with Far Cry 3 recently, I believe. Is that correct? Sweet. Can we just go down and see what each person like contributed? Did you all were you all in on that one or? Uh, nothing. Pardon? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just joking. Sean can explain. Okay, so it was a, it was a, it was a, We did. I think it was vehicle art, and I think we did um, some online as well, some online spot, and then. Sorry. I think it was the handling as well, yeah, was it? We sent, yeah. uh, we sent some teams across to help out with handling as well. So we had like uh, three small teams working very closely. Well, actually, the vehicle teams were large. So vehicles, handling, and uh, an online as well. So we did uh, elements in support of Montreal. Uh, and yeah, that, that's, that's the level of involvement we had. Uh, the vehicle sections, I think, worked pretty well. And the guys did a very good job. They were very involved. And uh, Montreal are always a great team to work with. So when were you good? Is it difficult doing individual elements of a game rather than handling the whole thing? I mean, with the whole thing, I imagine you can get a perspective for how everything fits in. With vehicles, does it get feeling like... Does it worry sometimes that your thing's going to be really weird compared to the rest of it just because it seems quite different in comparison? We made driver. We know exactly how vehicles fit in anyway, so... <laughs> That's an easy one, yeah. We, we know the, 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 guys, the guys in the studio are probably the most committed guys to vehicles I've ever met. They know every single car on the plan. They can tell you whether they're breaking legal licenses or not. They can tell you whether that guy's gear shift sounded wrong. They can tell you whether engines didn't growl at the right time. And, uh, and I think a lot of studios in Ubisoft are very happy to work with people who know that much about cars, that much about engines, and are that passionate about what they do. So not a problem at all, I think, especially that, in that area. That's what, what we did then historically the strongest. So uh, The perfect thing of, we may not entirely know where Far Cry is at the moment, but we do know cars. <laughs> Fair enough. That's a good reason to be involved in it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see. Other than we should look forward to it and it has nice T-shirts, is there anything we can ask about Watch Dogs? <laughs> Anything? All I can say is I'm excited for you. <laughs> Fantastic. We'll be excited that you're excited. <laughs> Finally then, uh, is there any advice you'd give to students or new people joining the indie circuit to try and get into the various positions that you have within the gaming industry? 
like art and design, etc.? I suppose we've all got different advice depending on our disciplines. Mine is, you know, just keep knocking on the doors, you know, be determined and immerse yourself in your culture. You know, know, know your industry, know, know the world that you're surrounding yourself with. Get your strongest portfolio together, front load your work, get some really good examples in there. Make sure your personal statement sells you. You know, you've got to stand out from the crowd. It's very competitive. And just keep knocking on doors, I would say. And for, from design, you know, uh, getting into game design via level design is a valid career path. Equally so is doing some QA stuff, so going in as a tester. But you'll have to stand out. You know, it's, it's, it's a crowded marketplace, so just uh, give it everything. I was a student at Teesside and I got um, an internship at Reflections as part of the Expo Tees initiative that Reflections worked closely with Teesside University. Um, so for me, the road in was definitely a university course um, and I had a, they also gave me a year's experience in the industry at Bizarre Creations as well, which um, I, I couldn't ask for any more really from, from my degree course. So. Um, it's, it, for me, I always say to students, take it seriously because if you take it seriously, then you can expect other people to. Um, there's a lot of people want to do what you do, so uh, I like to think at Reflections we have to be um, better than good. <laughs> I've never had anyone come up to me and say, I want to be a producer. That's, is, that, is, that, is that weird? Would you, would you like someone to? That would be nice. No, but I have, I have a mixed background. Like uh, on Drive San Francisco, I was in charge of all the game cinematics and story narrative elements and, and some other elements of the game, like the replay system. And so I handled animation teams, art teams, things like that. And I think the biggest thing is for people to know what they want to do is for them to make sure that work they want people to see is what they put at the front of their portfolio and don't just make it a mixed bag of tricks. And it's especially important that they come through to, to places like this because, you know, how, how does a person know they're good if they don't compare themselves to anyone else and don't take any feedback? You can't hide yourself in a room and then expect to be good. You need to see what everyone else is doing. You need to see what the level is and you need to see how you're meant to motivate yourself, what to hit. I think that one of the biggest things that we, we get from CVs is students um, just taking their coursework and we just see the same thing from everyone from the same university. You know what? You... You guys, if you really want jobs, then work on stuff that you, you feel passionate about. Choose your favorite thing. That should be, you know, if that's what you love, it should be the best piece in your portfolio. And then apply to places that that's what they want to do too. You know, you want to do, uh, you know, destroyed, grey level uh, kind of industrial art, then go to places like Epic Games Apply there. You want to do uh, casual, you want to do cartoony, go to places like Rare. You know, there's places that will suit what you really want to do. And... If you're really good at what you're passionate about, then there is a place for you. Apply there and keep that stuff in your portfolio, not everything else that you drag through university as well. Focus on what you know you're good at. Uh, I'd say my first bit of advice is making sure that you actually want to do it because I'm sure these guys here will attest to the fact that it's not an easy job. I mean, a lot of people may think... games all day, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> That's what people think. So it's making sure you want to do it, making sure that you're going to be committed to it because it's going to take a lot of your life. So you've got to make sure that, that you're as committed to the job as people are going to expect you to be. Uh, I moved into games from environment art, so I was meeting Sean and, and lecturers and showing my work around to people. They come into events like Animex, just, just meeting people, networking. Because it means if you've got good work, someone's going to remember you when, a, when there's an opening. So it's just get. I just say my advice would be, on top of what the other guys have said, is getting yourself out there, meeting people, starting getting contact together for when you're eventually ready to start um, applying for jobs in the industry. 
Fantastic. Thank you very much, everyone, for coming to talk to us today. And I hope you enjoy the rest of Animex. What's the guy with the lights name, please? Uh, Israel. We want to give him a special mention for holding the light for such a long time while we talk about ourselves. Yay, Israel! (laughs) What a guy. Yes. What a guy. (laughs) It was extremely fun holding that light up for the full interview, but. We were just trying to get the we didn't get the proper lighting in until Thursday. So yeah, yeah Israel was a proper trooper and a proper <laughs> intern at the same time, <laughs> helping out with some slightly. But he has lost the trainee uh, trainee T-shirt now. <laughs> he's done his first full interview, which we'll be having next week. So he's not the probie anymore. No, he's not the probie anymore. The probie? Yes. yes. <laughs> it's the NCIS reference. Yes. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, he's not probie anymore. Um, no, so. not saying that. Not saying that. Stop, Rob. Bad, Rob. Bad. Rob. <laughs> yes. So, anyway. So now that we are back, yes, you guys want to talk about the little game that we have that we're promoting all week. That yes. Looks really cool. And a Rob game that to, you can win. And Rob got to play it with the review copy because my PS3 is in the shop. Well, yes. Um, Metal Gear Rising Revenge. Yes. <laughs> 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 I say my PS3. Smoke days. My housemate's <laughs> PS3, so it's not even mine, but it is in the shop right now. Yeah, uh, Smoke Face, uh, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. So, can you give us a sort of a background of where it falls? Yeah, it's uh, previously s- on Metal Gear. It's after the events in Guns of the Patriots when uh, That's Ray- number four, isn't it? Yeah, metal, uh, it's number four. Um, it's. It was originally suggested as a side story that focused on Raiden um, since uh, he was featured in Guns of the Patriots. And uh, they did originally agree to develop Metal Gear Rising, uh, Metal Gear Solid Rising. Um, but that's eventually changed into Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. It's an unusual game for the Metal Gear franchise because one of the things that's most noticeable is the stealth element has been downplayed in favor of a lot more action. Right. A lot more head-on action, I which is... I don't think it'd work with stealth, though, really, would it? Given what the game is trying to yeah, be. It's very hack yeah. and slash, from it, what I know. It is very, very much hack and slash. And mm-hmm. I can guarantee you one thing. Uh, after you've done... There's, like, two uh, two VR missions right at the beginning of the game to teach you how to control Raiden. And he's got some really cool moves, including, you know, uh, using the sword with his feet, wow. which, is, uh, <laughs> which is an interesting addition, <laughs> you know. Curious. Well, if you've got cyborg feet, then hey, why not? You know, it's an interesting addition. Um, but he has—he's supposed to be like Gray Fox, a cyborg ninja, mm-hmm. right? Which is one of the reasons why I was a little bit confused at the lack of stealth. You know, um, because he is a cyborg ninja. Mm-hmm. To be honest, why would he need stealth? He was pretty much killed by a boat, came back to life, and he got sliced in half, had his arms cut off. Came back to life. Which yeah. explains... That's why bother being stealthy when nothing yeah. really matters. For someone just... who's not played all of Metal Gear, he was killed by a boat? Yeah, yes. he, a boat was <laughs> trying to crash into Solid Snake at the end of What's Man 4, and he just sort of braced himself and tried to stop it, yeah. and it kind of crushed him. So yeah, it's yes. pretty crazy Metal Gear Solid. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it does seem to keep the madness of the game going with this. Uh, I mean, there's, the the thing is, the game is a little bit mad, mm-hmm. I have to say, and it, that extends all the way back to the production because they dropped the tactical tactical espionage action and uh, changed it to lightning bolt action. Sounds about right. <laughs> oh, yeah, because the sword is electric as well. Yeah, it's it's one of those electrified plasma type swordy thingies that, and they have the they have the tagline 
you know, cut everything. Mm -hmm. And they say that you can cut everything, but there are some things that you can't cut, obviously. Oh, well, you break the game, won't you? So there's got to yeah. be a limit on it. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a limit. Ryden cuts the disc. Thing, uh, you know, jokes aside, I can guarantee you, when you start playing the game proper, after you've killed like, the first few bad guys, there is one thing that you will do. You'll go up to the nearest car, and you will see how many pieces you can slice it into. And to help you with that, they even have a counter that tells you how many pieces you've sliced it into. What? Uh, so it's really like a pizza slicing simulator at some point. Uh, at some point, yeah. <laughs> it looks yeah. like you do cleave things incredibly precisely. Uh, at some point, yeah. The interesting thing about the game, though, is the control system. Um, it it is very much the hack and slash control system, but there's an element of complexity about it. It's not simply ba- mash the buttons. Well, that's true of most of these games, except the bad ones. There's yeah, a degree of delicate touch. To yeah, it. you can't just hammer. Triangle, which I think was how he completed the PlayStation 2 game, Bouncer. Yes. You just press triangle over and over, and you complete the game. Oh, yeah. So you, there's some sort of tact- tactics in there. So. The, it, well, it, it has the standard kind of, you know, horizontal, vertical slash buttons and everything like that. But it also has this thing called free blade mode, where you can use the right trigger, uh, sorry, the right uh, thumbstick to control the angle at which you're slicing, which is useful for when you need precision slicing. Oh. You know, uh, you basically go into blade mode and you'll see the angle shown and you just alter the angle with the right thumbstick and then you basically let it slash. And you can cut through locks and various things like that. Most oh, of the time you okay. will, most of the time you don't need that though. Most of the mm-hmm. time it's just basically running, jumping, slashing enemies, climbing trees. Yeah. You know, climbing trees while thing. you're up there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it does sound... No, like changing your arms while you're up there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you squirrel, Raiden. It does sound a bit like... Um, a bit like a combination between Dead Space and Bulletstorm in that it's mm. just kill them how you want to, really. Okay, I will precision cut off your arm, then your head, then your arm, then your leg, then your leg. Now, here's the <laughs> thing, right? One of the things about Metal Gear Rising is that it is very typically Japanese in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that is because the very first chapter, right, you're in an African country. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody. You're in an African country, things happen, and then you actually get into the game proper after the first chapter. Mm-hmm. That sounds very much in key with what Metal Gear is. Yeah. And does it feel like a Metal Gear game besides all the... It does. Of- uh, this is the thing. Even though it's dropped the, uh, dropped the kind of tactical espionage yeah. element uh, in favor of the action, there, it does still feel very much like a Metal Gear game. There are little things in there that make it, that make it feel like a Metal Gear game. Yeah. The enemy indicators for a start, you know, when an enemy spots you and goes, and then you have the to ex- run and... Exclamation uh, yeah. mark. You know, the exclamation oh, mark. Oh, did anyone else like spot that. that in Wreck-It Ralph? Yes. Yes. It's so good. <laughs> Um, that's still in there, which is which is nice to have back. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the things that did confuse me though is Metal Gear itself. Mm-hmm. Right now, um, the Metal Gears originally were these kind of giant mechs that fired well, nuclear missiles and stuff like that, and it is still a giant mech, but it's kind of morphing into Godzilla. Isn't um, it those little things that were in number four, sort of two-legged, sort of spinny, whirlish things? No, no, know, this, yeah. this is a huge thing on two legs with a tail. Oh, you spoiled that for us, then. That's not in any trailer. Bad Rob. Uh, you see them very vague, early in the game. You're vague you see them. It's not you, giving you, you a photo. Meet, <laughs> you meet one during the first chapter. Okay, so it's like the tra- tanker bit in number two. Yes, it's like the tanker. Yeah, the tanker <laughs> in number two. To be honest, yeah. having a a 
I know I keep coming to point out that he's naked, but he's friggin' naked. Cyborg ninja going around with an electric sword, using his feet, fighting a giant mecha Metal Gear Godzilla. This is what I mean. Sound awesomely fun. It is actually. This is the this is the thing. Um, Purist diehard Metal Gear fans who want the stealth may actually find themselves not warming to this game Mm. when actually it is a hell of a lot of fun. There, you know, there's a there's a certain there's a certain kind of uh, angriness mm-hmm. that you can that you can just remove completely. You know, it, it is a very cathartic game if oh, you have rage event. problems. Okay, yeah, it's very God of War. Yeah, it's very God of War. If you have problems with anger management, this game will help you in a certain you know <laughs> up to a certain point yeah. because you can just go Rawr! and then wail on wail on the enemies who are all cyborgs. Now, here's the it, thing: it, it, in the trailer, it shows him crushing something. Right, ripping something out of uh, an enemy and crushing it, which is kind of gruesome. That is actually an important part of the game, mm. right? Um, it, it, it's a mechanic that's in the game, which you know they put in because it adds a le- an element of gruesomeness, but it's also yeah. to do with Raiden's cyborg body. Mm. You know, uh, it's some kind of healing fluid. Na- it's a nano nano machine fluid that he can use to basically heal himself. And you because they're all in cyborg, because the enemies are all cyborgs, they well, all have this in their kind of lower abdomens. So it's like a substitute for rations. Yeah, yeah, it's a substitute for rations. It's an interesting way they've written it in. It's the health pack thing. You know, uh-huh. you, uh, enemies mysteriously drop health packs, and you just kind of, well, hang on. How did you drop that? Did it fall out your pocket when you don't have pockets? Do they still drop magazines? Because that was a funny part of some of the later games. Um, not yet. Okay. Um, there may be DLC for that. We don't know. But so it, now then, you also take nano fluid from enemies in order to recharge your health. Now he's a naked cyborg electric ninja vampire, essentially? Essentially, yes. That's uh, awesome. So it sounds like uh, Platinum did a great job on it. Uh, they did. Uh, here's the thing, right? One of the things about Metal Gear Rising is that, uh, is that it reminded me of an old Konami game called Nano Breaker. And I mentioned this to Harry. I brought the game so you could actually have a look at it which has a silver-haired cyborg wielding a plasma sword going around hacking, pe- hacking things to pieces. Mm-hmm. Right, hacking nanomachine, uh, organic nanomachine things. You know, it's kind of a cross between a survival horror and action game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just kind of reminded me a little bit about that. But this Metal Gear Rising compared to that, I mean, this was a PS2 game, but it's like the dinosaurs and us yeah. in terms of evolution. Everything about Metal Gear Rising is so much better, so much shinier, so much, uh, so much easier to control. Mm-hmm. And you can cut dudes in half, which always yeah. helps. <laughs> yes, you can cut dudes in half. So a thumbs up from you then? It, it's, in terms of enjoyment, it's a thumbs up from me. Um, in terms of technical ability, uh, techni- uh, technical uh, ability, it's a thumbs up from me. In terms of actual game length... Oh, yeah, that's one well, complaint people have is they want more, which well, really bit, isn't a bad complaint to get. Yeah, you never really play games like that for the length, though. I mean, Max, it you're does, 10 hours. Thing is, it does have. It's replayability. Yeah, it does have a lot of replay value. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It is very linear in terms of the story, it is very, very linear. Well, I suppose but, we're just going to have to hope on some DLC. Yeah. Hint, hint, Konami. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, it is uh, available in the shops now, but we do have a white label copy to give away. Mm-hmm. It's the full game. We will be giving it away in 13 minutes' time. Remember, do email us if you still want in on it. Studio 12 minutes now. You've got 12 minutes to enter the competition. <laughs> 12 minutes, half six. It'll be studio at thegeekshow.co.uk. Tell us 
What is the name of the voice actor for Solid Snake in the English versions of the game? Also, I do feel I need to point out when you said it's a bit anime, all I could think no, of. No, it's a bit Japanese. All, when you said it's a bit Japanese, all I can think of is that image of Raiden undercover but with massive blushes and sparkles saying, <laughs> I have my own game now! Snake Sampai, notice me! So it's, 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 it's Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, not Lollipop Chainsaw Rising Revengeance. <laughs> How good a crossover would that be, though? <laughs> oh, man. Hi, I'm Destiny Blue, the anime artist, and I like drawing and The Geek Show, which you are currently listening to. Awesome. This is The Geek Show interview with uh, gaming writer extraordinaire, Rihanna Pratchett. Hello. Lovely to meet you. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Uh, how are you enjoying Animex so far? Are people treating you well? You were surrounded by people earlier. Rob had to kind of wade through them to get to you. Yeah, it is a little bit like a kind of a, a group of lions um, kind of surrounding gazelles, a little bit like that. And every, every, every time you, know, you, you look either side, there's more people kind of surrounding you. Um, but, it, but it's great. I've, it's um, the second time I've uh, been at Animex. I uh, haven't been for about uh, four or five years now. Um, so it, it's great to get back and, and talk to the students here. Fantastic. It's great to have you back as well. Uh, games that you've written on previously include the Overlord series, Heavenly Sword, and Mirror's Edge, and most, most people right now are looking forward to the new Tomb Raider reboot, which looks fantastic. Uh, unusually, though, you got into games writing through journalism, if that's correct. How did that whole transition work? Um, well, that's right. I, I started out as a journalist for PC Zone magazine. Uh, previously, I'd done a little bit of freelance for uh, PC Gear and a, a woman's magazine called Minx, all doing games reviews. And I got a full-time staff job on PC Zone. Uh, I stayed there for about two and a half years, also writing for The Guardian. And then um, I ended up sort of deciding to go freelance again. Didn't quite know what I was going to do. Didn't know how I was going to pay the bills. And I got offered a job as a story editor on a hardcore uh, role-playing game called Beyond Divinity. And um, I thought, okay, well, that sounds interesting. I'll do that. And so I did that for, I know, about nine months or so, on and off. And I thought, when it's finished, I thought, huh, this is a thing. This might be a career. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to look into this further. And I'm, I sort of hit up my contacts I made as a journalist and said, look, I'm, I'm doing script writing now. Um, can you kind of, you know, have you got any work for me? And and some of them actually said, oh yeah, yeah, we can we can use you for, for this, that, and the other. And I just picked up work wherever I could find it. I did um, level dialogue on a Pac-Man game, on a SpongeBob game, and then sort of working up to things like Heavenly Sword, um, the Overlord series, Mirror's Edge, and, and right up to Tomb Raider. Wow. How who approached who for the Tomb Raider uh, writing? How did that get? How did that situation happen? Um, I, I was approached for it, actually. I'm not even sure I was aware that there was... I was only vaguely aware there was another Tomb Raider game in the works. And I was already working for Square Enix IDOS on another project. So I got um, contacted internally uh, by one of the, um, the high-ups at Crystal who'd, been recommend, who'd uh, had me recommended to him uh, by my producer. And they sort of... Uh, I did an interview, I did some... Um, I wrote some cut scenes as a test for them because they were really looking for someone that could capture the voice and character of Lara, uh, which they, they, they'd kind of had a few problems with. And, um, yeah, they, they offered me the job, and I, I went over to San Francisco, I met the team, and then over the last sort of um, over two and a half years, I've sort of gone back and forth between London and San Francisco, um, sort of working on the script and then working with the team in-house and going, you know, Doing, doing that for, for quite a while now. Fair enough. Uh, when the trailer first came out for the reboot, there was a lot of 
kind of furore gathering around it. Most of it ridiculous. Uh, how wondering how much of the reactions actually reached you guys back at the studio and reached you personally, uh, having written the character. Um, well, it was a bit frustrating because I hadn't been announced as a writer at the time, um, and that's just the way games uh, games work. They, they have such a long PR ramp up that they need to factor in things like announcing the writer or the actress uh, or the, or the two, yeah, and so. It wasn't a case of they could just roll me out in front of in front of the wolves. Really, they, they announced me when they were planning to announce me at Comic Con, which was about maybe three three or four weeks later after that. Um, but I think the problem was that no one had really played that scene in context, so everyone was forming opinions about other people's opinions on something that wasn't actually the full thing. And I think when you play it in context, you get a much better scene of, of what. Uh, better, sorry, once you play in context, you get a much better sense of what that scene is about and, and what it isn't about. And you know, if anyone's kind of concerned, I really just say play play that game and, and see what you feel like after that scene. Definitely, I look forward to doing so. Uh, certainly. How how does it feel to um, to to have been asked to deal with such a, a huge character? I mean, we first saw Tomb Raider uh, debut in 1996. And the character Lara Croft has gone on to, to, to be recognised even within like the Guinness Book of Records for the most successful heroine ever. Um, it's a little bit surreal, although I didn't think about it too much at the time because there wasn't. Um, I wasn't even sure if it was announced. Um, I think it was kind of known about, but I, there wasn't any, that much information about it. So I didn't really feel the, the pressure when I first started, and I approached it just like I would any other games writing gig. You know, it was a bit like there's initial squee, it's Lara Croft. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I just got on and did the work. And it's only since kind of it, it's got a lot more publicity um, and I got announced as the writer that I felt the pressure. But I've done all the work <laughs> um, by then, so that's probably the best way around it. So, yeah, I've definitely, definitely in the run up and also the run up to, to release and the reviews coming out, that's definitely when you feel the pressure, no matter what game you're working on. Is there anything new that we can expect to see uh, from this uh, Lara Croft? Oh, well, there's there's so many new things. Um, I mean, it it is a reboot, but we've we tried to keep um, you know the the important pillars of of Tomb Raider still alive. So there's still there's still puzzles in there. There's still you wandering around, getting lost in the environment. Um, Yeah, there's uh, you know exciting combat in there. I mean, but it's still. It's still Tomb Raider at its heart, and you know we've got things like we go, we go for an hour without giving you a gun, which is fairly unprecedented for a game. So you get the bow a little bit early, but the first first section is is just Lara trying to get out of the cave, and there are a lot of puzzles, and there's lots of environmental challenges. And it's a little while before she gets a weapon, before she gets a gu- uh, the the bow, and then about about an hour or so before she she gets the gun for the first time. Um, and so that there's a lot more characters as well. Um, uh, than you'd, you'd probably normally see in a, in a Tomb Raider game because there, there were other um, survivors on the island and they were from the, the same ship. And so she interacts with them at, at different times and um, they also provide uh, motivation for her and, and, and looking out for them and, and trying to help them out is, is a key motivational um, uh, motivational thing for Lara as you go through the game. And, um, yeah, there's sort of so much new that it's... Um, it's difficult to know where to start, but but Lara Croft is is still the Lara um, of old. She's still got the, yeah. the traits 
no, um, bravery, resilience, um, resourcefulness, um, all of those. She is still uh, you know, a very strong woman. But she's never really been tested. We've rewound her back to a time when she didn't have the guns and the gadgets and the witty one-liners. Um, you know, she's still got that, that ability buried under the surface, but she's never had it tested before. And she's not kind of rolling out the one-liners because she's not that confident yet. She doesn't know she can get out of any situation because of the aforementioned guns and gadgets, etc. So she's, you know, she's... Um, not sure of her abilities and, and she's sort of self-conscious and, and she has to come to the, the realisation that no one else is going to rescue her from the predicament she's in. She's going to have to, you know, save herself. And it's really a story about um, the way that human spirit can endure under the most um, sort of traumatic of circumstances. I mean, the team used examples um, of real real world survival stories like um, Alan Ralston's 127 Hours was a big um, inspiration for us and, and kind of looking at, at um, how, how the, the human spirit can endure, it can survive these, these situations when you know you, you think you might give up but you still keep pushing, you still keep kind of trying to hold on to life fantastic we're really looking forward to seeing it this uh, more vulnerable side of lara who normally we do associate with being nigh on indestructible acrobatic scuba diving gunslinging ultimate thief so it is nice to see her in a more vulnerable position and see how she got to that stage she's vulnerable because she's human she's not this is not vulnerable because she's female but she is she's a 21 year old um shipwrecked on a mysterious island and she's vulnerable in the same way anyone would be in those circumstances she doesn't have weapons she, she doesn't know what's going on and she's kind of got to piece it all together um, what's happening and why and try and get herself out of it and then try and get her friends out of it and of course that, other, that is the other reason people are looking forward to this is because uh, she's written as an amazing human rather than an amazing woman and it, it looks to be fantastic for those reasons um, being a games writer how much do you, how, are you given a scenario and then you have to write into that or do you write things that people build the world around it is it difficult kind of coordinating with level designers and developers to get your story out there um, with Tomb Raider, it was sort of a balance. So we, we wanted to make sure that um, gameplay informed story and story informed gameplay. But the most important thing was the journey, the journey that the player was on uh, with Lara. And so, you know, this, this isn't one, you know, story is not the most important thing. Gameplay is not the most important thing. Journey is the most important thing on this. Um, and that's what kind of what we were aiming for. So when I started on the project, um, I had, they had the, about a four or five page synopsis. Um, they had a document of, of quite small bios for some of the characters and I had to sort of flesh that all out I had to, to work on the synopsis and strengthen it um, with, with other members of the team and turn that into an arc which again went through various iterations and then turn that into a, um, a treatment uh, where each scene was sort of broken down we looked at how complicated that would be with animation how long it was likely to be and we spent a long time doing that we spent a long time um, uh, expanding the bios and looking at the relationship webs of the characters um, and how that changes over the course of the game. And then we um, went on to actually writing the script. So we did a lot of pre-production work before I even uh, actually wrote a word of script. And then there was a lot of iteration on the script because you know things change in development. You know levels get changed or they get moved or um, you know all, all the time the script has to adapt to that and it has to be flexible. So there's a lot of rewriting. And then, you know, there's performance capture and there's feedback from that and then there's more rewriting and, and just trying to get that 
um, to, to get story and gameplay feeling cohesive and not feeling like there's gameplay and there's story and you know no one's talked to each other. It's fantastic to know that the, the you went along the whole journey of development along with them writing the journey. It's and it's been fantastic speaking to you, Rana. Definitely, it's brilliant meeting a legend such as yourself. Thank you so much for talking. To you. Uh, this is the geek, this is another Geek Show interview with Alex Trowers. Hello, how are you doing, man? I'm doing I'm doing okay. It's good. Fantastic. I feel kind of like I'm interviewing Loki, the trickster god, at this point, considering you started the opening ceremony by bringing on a whole bunch of Norwegians and having them sing Happy Birthday to Animex. Well. Yeah, okay, so normally I get up and do my showing off thing and, and sing, but I don't, I'm not entirely sure Gabby approves of that. But because it's like special, it's the 10th anniversary of game, and because I seem to have this army of Norwegians at my beck and call, I thought I would get them to do it. And, and honestly, so no one else can say that they've had Happy Birthday sung to them by an army of Norwegians before. True, fair enough. It's like you make your own tele-party stories. <laughs> Oh, but how have you been, man? It's been a whole year. What have, what's uh, this year kind of shown for you? You're, you're working at Boss Alien right now, I believe. Yeah, so essentially what happens is every year, apart from one year I come to Animex, uh, I'm working for a different company. Uh, so at the start of the year, I was working at Remode with Ella Romanos, and then I moved back to uh, Brighton and got a job at Boss Alien just in time for us to release CSR and for us to become phenomenally successful. Um, so it's, it's been quite... It's been quite an exciting year for a great variety of reasons. But, yeah, I'm living down in Brighton now. I'm having a great time. It's very good. Fantastic. Uh, CSR, it's a, it's, a, it's a phone game. It's an iPhone game, I believe. Sweet. Uh, so at what stage of the development did you join into it? What was your role in the actual game making? Um, I had, to be honest with you, I had uh, precious little to do with CSR. It was almost finished by the time I arrived. What I tend to get hired to do is come up with concepts for new games, to be able to prototype new games. Because... There's a lot of designers out there who can write a good document. There are precious few designers who've got like the, 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 the skill set that I have, so I can be like a one-man prototyping team because I can code a bit, I can do a bit of art, um, and I can come up with the design. And it's a very good way of uh, rapidly evolving ideas, rapidly throwing away ideas, rapidly developing ideas, because I'm not reliant on other people, I'm not waiting on other people yeah. to do a thing. I can just, here's the problem, I'll solve it. So uh, it's a very... It's a very privileged position that I'm in, in so much as they largely leave me alone to go, I think we should do this. And uh, the reason I think we should do this is because, there we go, play that, isn't that fun? (laughs) And the amount of time between going, I think we should do this to be able to prove it, yes or no, is very small. And the smaller you can keep that, the faster you can iterate, the less time you're wasting, the less resources you're using. So it's quite useful to be able to do what I do. So fantastic. So for someone who's like, Indian possibly on their own or someone trying to get into the industry it's a good thing to have like multiple areas you can go into like art and then programming and design like if you have at least two or three of these then it can be a real asset if yeah if you're um, if you're a small studio and you're quite resource poor you know number of people number of skill sets it's very important for people to be able to wear multiple hats um, so the, the, the issue is that there'll normally be one that you really like doing and that's the reason you want to do this thing. And then you're getting distracted by these other things. So, for instance, in, in the panel today, one of the things that was brought up was the idea that you've set up this company to, to be an independent and make games. You've got this game you want to make. You're really passionate about making this game. There's a whole host of other running a company-related crap that will take up your time. You've got to deal with the landlords. You've got to deal with 
the telephone people, the internet people, the inland revenue. You've got to deal with payroll. You've got to deal with pensions. You've got to deal with all sorts of stuff. And all the time you're doing that, you're not doing the thing that you actually set this whole thing up to do. So, yeah, again, if you can get... When the number of people you've got is small, if they can all sort of chip in with a variety of different things and not just be specialised, I think you'll stand a better chance of success. You'll be much more uh, able to adapt, much more agile. So delegation is key for something like that? Yeah, delegation is a, a skill in and of itself. Uh, and the only way you can make it easier on yourself is by hiring the right people. These are people you trust, people you know have got the skills, and people that you can just, you know what, I don't have to supervise them they can manage themselves or you know we've all decided this is what we're going to do i'm going to trust them to get on with it that makes delegation a lot easier fantastic uh, what are you working on currently then now that csr is out uh, so uh well csr is never fully out it's one of that csr is constantly being updated we're working on new features we're working on more polish uh and we're keeping iterating on the thing uh until it's a mirror mirror shine i'm part of a small team that is now starting up to work on what we're going to do after CSR that I can't really talk about yet Um, it may involve the letters C, S and R uh, but yeah it's a a different game, it's a new thing um, with many different components to it and we're sort of we're still in the hey wouldn't it be cool if phase so we're still playing with a few things oh we can make it do this, oh we can make it do that so it's quite exciting at the moment but it's going, to be a, it's going to be a while before we actually start releasing any information about it before anyone can start seeing it. Sweet. For a, for a blank screen with like a crossword series of letters involved in it, that sounds pretty interesting. So I'll look forward to it later. How, how have you found uh, working on the uh, mobile uh, platform? Uh, like, is there anything different that you, you'd have to do within that than you would, say, if you were doing, say, for a game on, say, Xbox? Or... Um, now, the thing I like about this is... I mean, when I started out, there was... Well, when I joined Bullfrog, there was eight of us. Eight guys in an office. That's how many people it took to make a game. Then as the years went on and the technology improved, it took more and more people until suddenly you're on a team of 150-odd people making this one thing. The advent of mobile gaming, the advent of uh, the the rising indie scene again, is... uh, I'm loving it. I absolutely love it because it's just like going back to the way it sort of used to be. Now... So it means that you can have everything you need. You just buy a computer now, and you've got everything you need to make a game. That always used to be the case, but you couldn't do anything with it once you've made it. Then it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and now you can buy a PC, but you couldn't make a game because you need this bit and that bit and a team of loads to make a game. And even if you could, you couldn't do anything with it. But now with the mobile games, you can buy a PC, you've got everything you need to make a game, and you can publish it. So that's really, really exciting. It's never been easier to make a game than now, and I love that. I love the fact that... There's a whole host of new people coming through and they're bringing a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy, a lot of new ideas and kind of keeping us on our toes. So uh, what advice could you give to uh, people that uh, would like to get involved with indie gaming, whether it's like an indie game on, uh, on, say, a mobile platform or, yeah, what advice could you give? The simplest advice um, is make a game. Download a copy of UDK, download a copy of Unity, download Game Maker, anything like that. And if there's a, a, a thing that you want to prototype, the thing that you want to make, just do it. Surround yourself with like-minded people. Get everyone together. Get them all enthusiastic. Work out what it is that you need to do and make a game. Go to a game jam. That's a great place to start. Even if you're on your own, go to a game jam because you'll meet other people there and you'll establish a team like that. And you'll, 
you'll network enough at those sort of events to give you a foothold and begin to see how the development process works. Coming to events like Animex is invaluable. Um, there, um, there is no better networking opportunity for students um, than this. You will. I, I did a recent blog post on this where I likened something like E3 or GDC is uh, the Monaco Grand Prix. It's all glitz, it's all glamour, all the big names are there. But it's just this absolute monolithic monster that you can't get anywhere near. Animex is like the Goodwood Festival of Speed. You can walk around the paddock, you can be this close to the car, you can stick your head in the cockpit, you can chat to the world champion driver, you know, and ask him, what's it like to drive this thing? And you don't get that sort of opportunity at something like GDC or Gamescom or anything like that. Um, It's only at a place like this. It's a fantastic opportunity. Wow, fantastic. That's fantastic advice for people. Uh, one final question. It's a little bit offbeat. As someone who's contemplated haircuts and getting themselves not dyed or anything because it will lose jobs, have you lost job opportunities before because of your awesome green mohawk? No. So but just do what you want with your hair and just say to people? Um, I'm not normally public-facing, and when I am public-facing, I'm public-facing in an industry that's allowed to be a bit kooky and weird. Uh, I started colouring my hair for a bet to win a jacket I, I dyed my hair green and shaved the bullfrog logo in the back and I won a jacket and then I went to the trade show wearing the jacket with the hair like that and they loved it since then I normally colour my hair before I go abroad because it's a great way of breaking the ice with customs officials <laughs> trust me it works it really does work they treat you like a human they go oh cool hair start a conversation now you're not just a number trying to get into the country yeah I that with my ears as yeah, well exactly. I have that everywhere yeah. <laughs> so and you know I, I also live in Brighton so you know what this is almost part oh, of the uniform God, yeah. in Brighton <laughs> around there I'd probably be a weirdo <laughs> excellent it's been fantastic talking to you again Alex lovely to catch up you're welcome Alex Trowers and Rihanna Pratchett there. Yes. Uh, also, congratulations to Israel. Rihanna Pratchett was his first ever interview. Yes. Yay. Talk about throwing in at the deep end. I know, right? He, he gets thrown in at the deeper end. So, oh god, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, on Thursday, we threw him in. Uh, we threw him in without any flotation devices. Oh man, look forward to Did that. Did I sink? Did I swim? Tune in next week and find out the results. Speaking yes. of the results, Segway. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yes. The competition lines for the Revengeance competition are now closed. Well done to the people who got in right on the end line. I did notice you. Don't worry, you were in the random choice. Yes. The random number generator has spoken, and the winner of Revengeance is after this interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah! Sorry to be all ITV on you guys, but we do have one more to get through. Yes. Dramatic pauses. You'd be great on TV, Harry. I know, right? <laughs> uh, with this hair and this voice, totally. Uh, but before we do that... Oh, God, Midsummer Murders. <laughs> what? And the murderer is... Well, we need a replacement for Peter Danny Minogue. So. Yes, this is true. Harry is the I... new Columbo. Oh, God. <laughs> One more thing. I don't see that as me. I don't know, I'm just running with it. It could work. <laughs> also, One More Thing just sounds like Uncle from Jackie Chan Adventures to me, not... Columbia. One more thing. One more thing. Jackie. Jackie. <laughs> she's yes. the murderer. So it's an interview anyway. Going back, yes. Gamers Against Bigotry. I interviewed Sam Killerman, which is an ironic name for an activist group. Killer Man. Yes. Uh, <laughs> his website, Gamers Against Bigotry, sets out to make a get a pledge. They've got a pledge out there. They're getting as many signatures as they can before approaching gaming companies and trying to help combat 
offensive language in gaming uh, properly. Like, yes. help them have effective tools. Let them know what they're censoring and what they should not be censoring. Hence yeah. the discussion we had about World of Warcraft. Yeah. Uh, and it's really great that someone actually has their mind set to this. And they've already got over 2,000 signatures. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm now helping organize the Tumblr account. Brilliant. I, I just offered because I bloody love Tumblr. Uh, <laughs> so... This, I'll let Sam explain it for himself. Here is uh, his interview where he discusses what Gamers Against Bigotry is, what he wants to do, what the industry is about, and what you can do to help. This is Harry from The Geek Show. This is our interview with uh, Gamers Against Bigotry uh, with Sam Killerman. Hello. Hi, how are you doing, Harry? I'm good. How are you this evening? Well, afternoon for you, uh, being stateside. <laughs> so, despite the irony of your name, Kidderman, uh, <laughs> you're part of the group uh, Gamers Against Bigotry. Uh, could you give us a bit of a, a brief insight into uh, what it is the group does? Yeah, the, cool. the group is a nonprofit organization with the goal, a pretty simple goal, of cleaning up the online space and making it safer and more welcoming to all people, regardless of their identity. So, basically, not just straight white male gamers. Yes, I think anyone who's played Call of Duty for any length of time, not to single it out, but we know why, yeah, yeah, can get a bit sick of that. <laughs> unfortunately, Call of Duty is kind of the, the target of a lot of flack about the bigotry in gaming, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's the thing as well, is that if someone like, refers to a group or something, then that group tends to either uh, lash back or some newer ones tend to identify with it, like, oh, this is where this, this kind of stuff is okay. Which... Yeah, absolutely. Like if you if you know that Call of Duty is the place where you go and you throw around bigoted slang, people might just start doing it because they think that that's what they're supposed to do. And a common idea that that gets thrown around. I get that in emails quite a bit. And I always find it fascinating that, that that that's something that people are trying to hold on to. This idea that there's this one last place where you can be a horrible person. Well, is it, people say that about gaming, do you? Yeah, people say that gaming is the last place where they're allowed to use this type of language. I'm all for personal freedoms, but self-awareness is pretty damn important as well, I think. Yeah, and it's the interesting thing is how people think that for whatever reason they can treat people this way in the gaming world, um, but not in the real world. Like, they understand that there's a difference, but I don't think what they understand is that these are still real people. You're interacting with real people, even if it's through a PlayStation or a PC, you're still, they're still real people. Exactly, yeah, and I think that... Too often people are behind like the screen and behind the anonymity feel that they have so much freedom to just say whatever they please because they never get to see the reactions from people. Uh, yeah, or I mean, they're looking for the reactions a lot of the time, you know. But I, I think that the interesting thing is when I talk to some people, they don't, they're not making the connection between the, you know, if you're playing Call of Duty, you've got all these other soldiers that are on your team. They're just seeing it as that, like soldiers and terrorists. They're not seeing it as the person who's controlling the other soldiers. Mm. And I think that 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 breakup and understanding is what allows a lot of this to happen. Because most of the people who who complain about uh, what we're doing, the people who are backlashing against our backlash, I guess, are saying that they don't think it actually matters. It's just a game. It's just for fun. People don't take this seriously. And I'm like, they do take this seriously. This is intense stuff. And this really hurts people outside of games. Hmm. Oh, exactly. It's it just seems so weird that yeah, people do do that. They kind of just stop seeing there's people playing this as well and just see it as hoarder alliance essentially. Uh, the current way that people can easily just kind of put their own thought and uh, name down for this kind of thing is you have a uh, a pledge that people can sign on your website. Uh, what does the pledge entail? It's it's a one stop way for people to say. We support you. We support what you're doing. I, as a gamer, want to stand up against bigotry, and I pledge not to use bigoted language in games. That's essentially what it says. 
And by putting your name down and signing there, it essentially it, the goal is to take this stuff out of the gaming world and into the real real world. So connect your your gamer tag or your identity as a gamer with your identity as a human being. Because one of the big things that I found when I started this organization was people don't see aren't seeing that connection between who they are in the gaming world and who they are in the real world. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it's all too easy just to kill someone, then move away from the spawn point, and then not hear them. Uh, yeah. and hear the reaction, which is on the other side of the screen. Uh, it's interesting to see what... I'm wondering what kind of things can be achieved with the pledge, because, for one, it, it's good just to get numbers of people, just for reference purposes, like survey purposes, saying, actually, no, here's, like, over a thousand people who are saying, we're tired of this shiz. Uh, you know, and just saying, we're tired of this, we want it to change. We are actively saying, we are trying to change it just by non-participation. Uh, I mean, what kind of things do you want to hope, hope to achieve with the uh, the pledge? Well, I think that once we amass a certain number, and right now that number that's in the back of our minds is 10,000. Once we have 10,000 pledges, I think that that's a formidable group, that that's a good chunk of the gaming community, enough people that we can say, this is something the gaming community cares about. We as gamers don't appreciate this aspect of the community. We don't want to stand for what basically a lot of people outside of the gaming community think we stand for. And that's being terrible people to one another. So once we have a big enough group and we can say, this is important to the gaming community, we can start taking it elsewhere. I'd really like to start conversations with game developers, PlayStation, Xbox Live, the big types, the AAA types, as well as um, some smaller indie developers and just see what we can do to make the game safer, make for better, better moderation controls in the games, and really anything we can do to enable these gamers who have signed the pledge to enact some real change within the gaming community itself. You have some uh, cool merch on your site with the um, the Gamers Against Bigotry logos. Uh, what are the funds of that that, uh, that of buying the t-shirts and things go towards? Any any money that we collect goes towards. Right now, the the primary thing is reaching out about the pledge. We run Facebook advertisements and things, just kind of getting getting the word out about the organization. That's where the money goes at this point. Uh, down the line, we've got a lot of different projects in line. Uh, we want to create something very similar to Gamer Connect, actually, but with a much more broad idea or a much more broad reach, just kind of reaching out to everyone who wants to play in a safe environment, regardless of their identity. So um, that would be a great partnership with Gamer Connect, actually. So things like that, and also attending some different cons. Like, we'd love to go to GamerX, for example. We'd love to go to a number of different cons around the country in the U.S., and all those things, unfortunately, are, are quite expensive. So... That's all. That's all in the uh, in the future. Fair enough. And people should uh, keep an eye on your website and Facebook to uh, keep an eye on when the, when those things might happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Facebook, Twitter, and our website. We have Tumblr and Pinterest and a couple of other things. We're not actively using them right now. We're still small and we're trying not to get stretched out too thin. But um, we're ever growing. So definitely, right now, Facebook, Twitter, and our website are great ways to keep up to date on what's going on. Fantastic. Uh, and if people want to sign the pledge, which you, which you should, it's really easy. You just have, like, first name, surname, email, agree. I think it, that's, I think that's all that's involved. Yeah, just, oh, and where, where you are. Exactly, and where you are as well, to show that this is a global thing. Just No, you're fine. <laughs> right, gamersagainstbigotry.org. Uh, and sign today, it's easy. You have literally no reason not to. You're already on the internet, clearly. <laughs> 
It's easy. It's easy in London too. Yeah. Well, we actually we just started something this week that we're pretty excited about. We're going to be doing themes each week where we focus on a different aspect of the gamer community or of of what our goal is basically. So, and then we're going to be covering those themes through blog posts, little videos, uh, different discussions on the website and on Facebook and things. And that's going to be really fun. We're looking forward to that. The theme this week is just dealing with bigotry in game, a very great starting point. Next week, we're going to be focusing on fake geek girls, which has been up in the news a lot lately. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be the discussion theme for next week. And, and we're going to have themes like that for the foreseeable future. So that'll be a fun way to stay engaged with the community and to kind of figure out these things as a group as we, we move along. So you can stay tuned for that on Facebook, primarily. People, check it out and go out there and don't be douches. <laughs> there you go. That should be our new tagline. Don't be douches. That could be a shirt. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. Yeah, take care. Yes, do go to gamersagainstbigotry.org and sign the pledge and help fight douchery online. Yes. Don't be something that you wash with. <laughs> Well done. That is a worrisome translation there. Like, it's a, either you use la douche in France or you don't use la douche in America. Isn't it just like a loofah type thing? It's a big fight. No, shower. Oh, yes, it is. Back on topic, shower. though, it is a yes. big fight against gamers against idiots, frankly. Because yeah. on, it's, it's tackling online gaming. Yeah. It's something that should be done, but it's a big, mm. it's a big time. It is a yeah. big ask, but, you know... It's it, the fact that doing it is yeah. the important thing. Yeah, it's, it's the thing that it has such a reputation within gaming now. Like I was stunned to realise that Xbox Live was supporting GamerCon or hmm. at the time, and now GamerConnect. I was like, G- Xbox Live gives a gives a monkeys about this kind of thing, and then I was yes. like, yeah, the guy in charge of it. There's several people on moderation teams who try to combat the terrible people. I was like, wow, yeah. I didn't hear that part of it. All I hear is crumpet, crumpet, uh, terrible comments. <laughs> Which is, you know, if you're British, you'll understand what they do that one for. We all have our butlers and eat crumpets, according to And America. live in castles, live in castles. <laughs> yes. If I had a butler, I wouldn't be playing video- online video games. I'll tell you that. You'd have your butler do it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I, wouldn't be making, I wouldn't be making cheese and... Stop playing video games. All day. The butler did it. I'd get the butler to do it. <laughs> Basically, yeah. But now we are coming towards the end of the show. Yes. You probably want that moment you've all been waiting for to see who wins Metal Gear Solid Rising Revengeance. Do you want me to announce it or do you want to? I, I, I can announce it. Okay. Pl- please, okay. no dramatic pauses. Just, just Let's, go straight on. into it. Let's go back and forward between the two of us to try and get the surname right. Okay, so I'm going to go with the winner is Robert Shearman from Reading. I'll say the winner is Robert Shearman from Reading because the first word is Shear. The alternative winner is the is winner Robert Sherman from yes. Reading. Yes, Robert Sherman from Reading. It's definitely Sherman. Even so, <laughs> get in touch with the show through our studio at thegeekshow.co.uk. Well, no, well, we've we got his address. Yeah. We have all oh, of your we, details. We already have your details. You've got your address, I'm which sorry. was sent from your iPhone. Thank you very much, Robert. Um, that pra- that uh, game will be winging its way to you tomorrow. Yes, and we should we'll send it out as quickly as possible because I do know it's out now. So yes, yeah, yeah. first class post tomorrow. Congratulations tomorrow, first thing. Yes, congratulations, Robert, uh, on winning Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Enjoy the game, mm-hmm. uh, and yes, and congratulations to our listeners for winning at life. Let us know if the first thing you do after you kill the first few bad guys is cut up the nearest car. And for every, <laughs> do try it. And for everyone else, the the answer to the question, the voice actor for Solid Snake and the British versions was. David Hater. Yes. Mm-hmm. Spelled H-A-Y-T-E-R to your, those of you who think Hater is only spelled H-A-T-E-R. 
you were, they were good though. They got very majoritively people got it correct, which yeah. is good because you could Google it. Yeah, exactly. And we did say Google your we answers, want the kids. correct spelling of the name. Always Google your answers. Kids. Competitions were so much harder before the internet. <laughs> you actually had to look stuff up in, in encyclopedias. You actually had to listen to the program. Yeah, because <laughs> there's people that do it midweek. Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, we've come to the end of the episode. That is the first half of our discussion of Animex, because next week we'll be talking about Animex animation and film and comics, and it shall be awesomely cool yeah. once again. Definitely got some cool yes, it will. And after that, then we'll actually be able to work on getting all these things onto YouTube in their glorious video forms. The Game is Against Bigotry interview was also recorded via Skype with the video, so that one will be video as well. Yes. And also, that one is a Harry interview. It was about 25 minutes. <laughs> yes. So you'll be able to hear the more glorious full version of that where there's lots of tangents and they're delicious. Yes. In the meantime, do we have any announcements before we play out? Next week is the second half of Animex. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we will be talking comics and movies next week. You've already said that, haven't you? Yes. My brain is still fried from last week. Echo! I have an Asian echo. With a beard. <laughs> with a beard. I have a bearded... How would people be able to hear a bearded echo? Slightly muffled with some ruffling? Or like, echo! <laughs> oh, there's some bacon left in here. <laughs> no, I shall sound like... Uh, what was he called? I shall sound like Bane. Oh, but, no, that sounded a bit like my weird Alan Rickman impression, except that my Alan Rickman impression sounds like if he was a bee for some reason. That's what my friend says. It's like, I'm Alan Rickman if he was a bee. Yeah. Ben sounds like Kenneth Williams talking in a, a plastic carrier bag. So. Oh, matron. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's terrible. Carry on Gotham killing. Carry on backbreaking. Well, Bruce Wayne. Terrible brain impersonations aside, that's, yes. that's it for the show, isn't it? A terrible yes. brain impersonations. <laughs> that was terrible brain impersonations. Nothing like Pinky than the brain. Nothing wrong with my brain. <laughs> well, let other people decide that. <laughs> oh, we are so tired, but we shall be getting some rest and relaxation yes. and be back in time for next week to show you some more stuff. In the meantime, thank you for listening. It's been great. Yes. I've been Harry. I've been Rob. I've been Israel. Hello. Enjoy, we'll see you all next week Take care and good luck with everything you do Ciao For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac.